Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we learn. So we're heading into the uh, Homeless Alliance's annual count, which is some, somewhat of a census. It's called uh, Point and Touch. Point and Touch. It's a, and that seems like it's a branch. Well, first of all, that's almost a line. That's a branch. To point at somebody and then touch them. Jeez. Yeah. Harsh on the, on the marketing purpose seven. And you think maybe they did it for the for the uh, what do they call that the anagram where you can break your uh, your abbreviation down, but then that calls it pit point and touch. I mean, I guess it's better than point and laugh. Well, the other one is hot. Yeah. Homeless outreach touch team. So, team. Homeless yeah. outreach Yeah, so we're part yeah. of a hot going out on a pit. <laughs> Sorry, that's my that's my UPS way. Well, we're out. going out there to see. We're curious what is going on with the, what we're seeing is an increase in homeless population beyond what we're accustomed to. Like we're curious about it. We're trying to understand if there's a role that we play in it. Um, how we can help it, uh, what the cause is. I'm extremely curious about the cause. And, and I, you know, I've been critical And the solution. Of yeah, I've been Even more so. Once you find the real cause, maybe that's how you get the real solution. So uh, we're, we're, and the interaction is we're doing a census. So we're asking, where are you from? What was the cause of your most recent homeless event? Or why are you homeless now? Uh, how long have you been homeless? Uh, and what this agency does is they accumulate all this data, and that helps with federal funding and state funding for homeless agencies because they get a shot of what is the population in Oklahoma City right now. And they, they do it in these colder months because they know the homeless population has a closer proximity to shelters. So this is... The homeless, right, the homeless season. It's the, where they have the highest density. Uh, they're just easier to count. It's easier yeah. to keep track of the feral folks who, uh, for whatever reason, live homeless through their choice, through choices they've made, through choices society has put them in. Well, those or, are all we don't know. This is what we're yeah. here to find. Yeah, that's and whether or not we find it in these short interactions, I think at the very least we're going to feel a little bit of the identity of who who we're talking to. Um, and I ain't gonna lie, we might get into some funny, weird little situations. Well, I mean, hopefully, like, I, 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 I would, I would be remiss to say that I don't see an opportunity for interesting interactions. I mean, think about what we're doing here. So there's a beautiful premise to it, as you just laid out. You know, we need to understand this plight, this this thing that's going on in our society, and the only way we know how to get a handle on it is to go out and, and knock tents, wake people up four or five in the morning uh, to uh, ask them various questions about their uh, state of life. And that's, uh, that's, that's a very, uh, that, that adds for a lot of interesting interaction. I don't know what else to say. Well, yeah, we're, we're gonna see. Uh, it's 3.30 in the morning. Uh, I think we leave around four. And uh, so the idea is they're, greatest concentration of stability happens at this time in the morning. And we're also going with bus passes and Amazon gift cards. And I mean, yeah, we're spreading goodwill, yeah, so to speak. There, we're, there, we're, there, we're, there, are, there are plenty of 
we come in peace accoutrements. A lot of $5 gift cards, yeah. like you said. Uh, but that was really about it. I mean, it's yeah. not like they've got some sort of grab bag we picked from. If they yeah. come and they spend 10 minutes being cordial with us on a few questions, then uh, it's it's a $5, uh, uh, most of it was $5 fast food card, I believe. I know Sonic was one that they mentioned. So you're on a team that doesn't have a policeman with you, right? No, that's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so when we got split up in teams, I thought that was interesting. You end up with a team that is is, is assigned a police officer. Right? You know you're I going in. Hand. Yeah, I yeah, hand. You, that's exactly right. Uh, now, the, the, the area I got is right around the homeless lines. Yeah. It is, uh, so they say there's going to be a high concentration, but uh, I guess it's not the... I, I don't know what how I wonder what designates it as one being like this is a bad homeless zone. Like essentially, that's well, what it's come, what they're saying. Like, oh, you, you guys are going into some of the nice ones. Myself, uh, your 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 zone might be a little rough. I'm guessing it's proximity. Probably just what the police understand is a crime area. Um, the area we're going into, there's a big encampment around a railroad track. And I think that's probably where we're going to spend the majority of our time. That's the one I'm most curious about because it's it's interesting for me to see how these societies weave themselves together. And I think you have some lone wolves, but then you also have groups of 10, 15 people that are living, a, you know, in a, a communal life in some way, shape, or form. Well, I, right now we're speaking from ignorance. Like, you're about to go find out yeah, if that true. theory is true. I, I, we are really going to see, a, I, you just talked about it. What is the social structure like? I've heard in some of these, you know, kind of like your favelas in Brazil, they get their own, like, justice I'm system, sure their know. own, yeah. you know, support system within their own small communities. And uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> you know, you like to well, see people help the people, but you do hate to see that it has to to find itself in that low of a form. I think it's uh, it's human nature to, to gather together to find fellowship in no matter what your circumstances. And I don't know whether or not we'll be able to feel that form in the morning. Uh, but it's a curious question. I, I think, you know, we're, we're doing this audit from 4 to 8 in the morning. And so I think we're, we'll catch some early risers, and then uh, I'm sure we're going to be knocking on some tents where somebody just went night-night. So it'll be interesting to see how welcome these approaches are. Uh, we're going out with trained professionals. I, I'm sure we're the least qualified in the room by far, having never done any of this. Yeah, most of the ones in there uh, had done this multiple years already. They work for the organizations. It seems like that there's not just a lot of the uh, general populace, like ourselves, so to speak, that that uh, find out about this and then actually even sign up for it. Yeah, it just didn't it, seem to be like very an activity. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of fresh faces. I think that we're kind of stepping in also to a community that I'm a little curious about, which is the homeless outreach community. So I'm, I'm not as curious as um, I am about the homeless population, but I'm also curious about the people that that have developed a passion around outreach. Uh, that's, so that's an interesting take as well. And I think we feel, finding that we feel a little bit of a passion towards it too. That's a, something else that, that brings us here. Uh, you know, there's there's been an interest, a calling to this, this aspect of society that interests us. And I don't think we're the only ones. And, and this is what the people that have turned that interest way up do with their time. Well, you know, I feel like we might be around the sort of people that 
have figured out in life how to chase purpose instead of financial gain with the way they spend their time. Yeah. That's got to be a high concentration of people available in this kind of scenario. Well, you're not waking up at, you know, I got up at 2 o'clock uh, after going to bed at 10. I mean, and all these people are doing a similar thing. You're, you're not doing that if you're not passionate. I, I just don't. It's like I said on the purpose episode. You know, you know if you woke up this morning with purpose. And uh, mine was actually 225, I, I, which maybe I, I didn't quite give enough time this morning. But Good job, Homer. I know, I know. I, I'm usually the early one. This got me a little. Nonetheless, when I woke up today, there was a motivation. There was a purpose. It did not bother me one bit getting up. I'll be honest. My first reaction when I woke up was I signed up for this. Oh, I don't want to go back to sleep. <laughs> I was not that sure. <laughs> no, no, I mean, now it's taking a, at least uh, five loops of Daft Punk to get me revved up into some conscious state. But I'm expecting as soon as we get here, the energy that we're going to have from all these other people going out on a mission like this is probably going to build some contagious energy that I'm hoping to get a little pull on, to be honest with you, because I need some energy right now. So that's it. We want to give a little uh, pregame going into the darkness on uh, a real curious adventure that, that hopefully gives us some insight and we learn a little something. Yeah, and once we get uh, get that information, uh, these experiences, we can't wait to share it uh, from, from the studio. All right, all right, all right. Well, welcome to Homeless Reflections. Uh, here at Feral Minds, we... Uh, took off on an endeavor that uh an opportunity that came in front of us that we've really been trying to embrace and uh and participate in uh something getting in touch with uh with our local home uh, going out and participating in a homeless outreach program i uh, did a little bit of uh discussion in the car on the way there kind of giving some insights as to before and now man, fresh off of it i still got still got the mud on fresh my pants and my yeah. boots still got a smell that we can't get off still tired <laughs> Still really running hard on coffee, but what were, what was your take? What what? How did that compare to what to what you you expected? There was, you know, the the the, uh, the expectation level uh, was much much higher. It seems, I think, whenever you drive by and you get this perception of there's a homeless person I see somewhere I've never seen before. Oh my goodness, they've overran where they were now, and now they're overflowing into new areas. Yeah. And so whenever I looked at it from that perspective, not not diving into a point and touch kind of count, it made me feel like the homeless population has been just exploding. Because uh, they are s popping up in new places, it seems, all the time. Now, one thing I learned as we went out into this, as I say, where there was a lot less impact a lot less interaction with homeless than i thought was that you realize their camps get moved a lot so you're not necessarily going with the same mentality i had that okay here's a new camp all the other places i've seen are full and now this camp exists yeah. what i found out when we started walking is they 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 call it it's almost amoebic like an amoeba the way they move their camps around based on complaints in an area that they need to come get them out of here. Yeah. So my area that we started off in, I, I thought it was just going to be nonstop talking with with people. I thought they were just going to be everywhere because I had had a familiarity with this area back at my UPS days. I, I delivered around here. I've okay. seen some of these camps, and now we're talking 10, 12 years ago, uh, and expecting that, like I said, 
and then an additional abundance. But as we started walking those areas, there were none of the camps that I'd seen before were there. Uh, and there was a lot more like um, homeless uh, deterrent around. I, there were fences and barbed wires on top of them and caged in doors on every single building in this area. And so what I saw from this area of what I used to know and then now, they have forced the homeless population out of where they used to be and they're more spreading out into the suburban areas. And that's what, what I think we all think that homelessness is growing because you start seeing it's it more, It's definitely more visible. Corner. Yeah, and, and that's the only conclusion we have as somebody who's not in tune with the population, the numbers. When we see more of it, when we see it on corners where we didn't see it, when we see a tent against a fence line where we didn't see it before, I think our natural assumption is things have gotten worse because it wasn't there. Why is it there now? Uh, that was a common, common theme that I heard. Uh, both amongst the homeless and the homeless outreach workers, that there is a lot of moving involved. Mm -hmm. And one of the camps that we went to, we were expecting a round of people that had been mildly hostile with dogs. Uh, the police officer that was with us was just warning us of the dogs. And uh, we show up there, and it's completely turned over. The yeah. people that were once there are not there. And so I think there's a lot of fluidity in it. Um, to me, one of the one of the really, you know, again, we got up at, at two in the morning to get down there at four uh, to immerse ourselves with professional outreach workers, mm -hmm. people that are trained. You and I sat through a thirty minute, almost just how to work a tablet, slight nuance with how to engage with the homeless population. But you know, the, immediately as I told my family about what I was doing, there was a fear for my safety. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, even Tyler brought it up on the episode. Yeah. Are you taking any sort of defense? Yeah. And, and again, I, and I made the mistake of telling them a police officer was going to be with us, which escalated their concern in a weird way. Oh, it's so bad you need a police officer? Yeah. That's, that's even worse. But I'll say this. Not, we didn't have one in one exchange that even resembled confrontation. Um, everybody that engaged with us, you know, we announced ourselves outside of the camp in a pretty loud voice. And then you stand back and you wait to see who will come to you. So this idea that you and I had that we're going to be in there knocking on tents, and it doesn't play out like that. No. You stand from a safe distance, you announce who you are, and you announce your purpose. And it, it was my experience, about 90% of the people raised their hand and said, yeah, we, we would like to engage. And so we're taking a survey. And this survey is about who so are who, you? who are your nose first? Uh, your, your who nose? are my nose? There yeah, was one, Jimmy, no, yeah. one no right out the gate at um, – Probably, we were probably a little after, probably 415, 420, so really early. And somebody knew the individual that was in there, um, and they used the name to, call it, to, to draw his attention to the fact that we were there. Mm -hmm. and, and you weren't there for he harm. Just said, he just said, man, bless you guys, but not right now. And so we walked. Now, the area that I was working was all on the train tracks. Mm -hmm. there, there was, there's large populations strewn out. In kind of in the valleys or the bellies outside of the rise of a train track, mm -hmm. and those are areas that are usually wooded, and I think they they can get some cover from. Uh, so we predominantly walked up and down the tracks, and um, you know sometimes you you can't see where they are. Sometimes you're reliant on the outreach professional that's been there before mm -hmm. to try to try to give you some insight. But the reception was warm. Yeah, we um, had one guy sitting in a corner that he just. 
He said, I just want to enjoy my buds. <laughs> was his, that was the best no that. we got. Yeah. You got to respect that. Yeah. We did it. Well, I guess, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say that was the best one because we had another one, which was a little presumptuous of us, just to assume you're walking down the road. But in some ways, we were right. We, we asked him, uh, Are you homeless? And he said, Yeah. And we said, Well, do you have time for a few questions? And strangely enough, his response was, no, I'm late. I got to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> now, we didn't really get to go any further into that. Yeah. And as we go into what the questions were, I have to say that was one of my biggest takeaways was how hard it was to go not go beyond the questions. Yeah. As you're sitting there talking to a human being that's in a state that you really wish that you could assist with in whatever way. Um, you got to remember that the best way that w- we are been taught through the programs that we're working through is to get these questions to put them in a box, compartmentalize them so that they can get their help. Yeah, and that's really what we're doing. We're doing this census that has a lot of questions around why are you homeless, do you have an underlying disability, do you have a learning disability, and, and those feed grants that help fund these organizations, and, and that's the value of, uh, of counting in the way we did. And, and like you, I, I had a little bit of time uh, with a couple of people. I probably administered five surveys. And I would say out of those, two broke into some dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I basically let them lead the conversation, and I then had I, would, one. I, I would had, engage. I had one that was constantly in dialogue. Uh, but every once in a while, I could get her to break into questions. Okay. All right. <laughs> and that was, and they'd already, uh, they, they already uh, knew of her. I, won't, I guess I would say her name. Or, but, uh, yeah, that she was one I, I really wanted to sit there and engage with the schizophrenic. You know, out of curiosity, because I did, I can't describe her in any other way. I, yeah. There was a, there was a, I don't even know if I can say the name of her imaginary friend, but she had the name of a friend. We'll call her Jennifer, and she, I could hear her referencing Jennifer quite a few times. You know, oh Jennifer knows more about. It. I don't know why Jennifer. She, Jennifer told me to, and I, I just could tell real quick on the questions that um, one of the reasons for hers was mental health. Yeah. Whether whether she was going to answer yes or no to do you have a mental health disorder? Yeah. That was a box I was checking. Not to get too far ahead on the questions. There there was only one. I had one engagement with a guy who was very angry mm-hmm. about somebody not giving him water and one of the homeless workers told me that he's probably having a conversation with somebody who's not there mm-hmm. and uh we didn't have water we had gift cards we had bus passes she had questions like what does not there look like is this someone that you see is this a voice yeah. in your head yeah. and that he might would, be a whole was, psychological question it is. go to school and learn that i suppose well and you you don't like we're we're, we're having such a quick interaction with them mm-hmm. we have no idea what brought them to this point and now here we are apollo strangers in the middle of the night and we're asking them questions that are intimate questions in nature. Oh right? my goodness, yeah, that's Why what I wanted to get did into. did you end up here? The assumption being that that it's almost just kind of a disposition that you don't want to be there. And I think the majority of them felt that way. A lot of them were known within the outreach community, and a lot of them were, were checking on their cases. Mm. Like, have you heard about my housing case? Or where do I get this VA benefit? And we, with the way the groups were structured, there was a lot of knowledge. Uh, and thankfully, I didn't take away from that because all I could do was mule a backpack around and hand out <laughs> gift cards. But there was knowledge there that knew how to direct them. You know, are you are you a vet? Do you have mental health problems? Uh, is there something with rent assistance that we can help you with? Yeah, so and, yeah, you're going down the questions with them, almost like like you're hollering off a bingo thing. Yeah, because uh, we had one. 
like we had, a, I guess, what you would call a "Hey, we can help you" sort of bingo. Uh, to to, to you, you start off, you're going down the questions. Uh, first, you got to ask them, "Have you already done this?" You know, yeah. you don't want to get your double count. Uh, then you got to um, ask them what their name, uh, when they're born. Uh, you ask them how many times they've been homeless. How long have you been homeless? Are you chronically homeless? That's a new term I learned. So if you've been homeless. More than I believe it's three times or four times in three years or greater than uh, twelve months, they label you chronically homeless. Uh, and and that I ran across two of the surveys I did. One lady had been on the streets for ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, another one had been on the streets for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask that question, there's a long pause, and it's like this almost this declaration of sin, like. Yeah, I've been here. I've been out here fifteen years. Yeah, it's yeah, like you're you're forcing them to shine a light on yeah. themselves and their situation with these questions. Yeah. but th- th- then they start getting you know. Then you go to are you male or female? Uh, what's your sexual orientation? And at, at, at first, when I hear about it, it's like, why am I wasting my time here asking these kind of questions? I don't know how this is going to help get to a root cause and therefore a solution to this. But I, as you start realizing when you keep going with them, um, you know, are are you? on any sort of substance abuse? Are you physically disabled? Are you mentally disabled? Do you have a learning disability? Like this is what we're walking out, waking someone up at five in the morning to ask them. And I learned afterwards and in talking with the management over these programs is how splintered their availability for help is. And almost what you see in each of these questions is one splintering of how you could get help. Yeah. And so we came across one, uh, are you HIV positive or living with AIDS? And they were. And it was like, you know, bing, oh, we've got a bingo here. You know, the, the manager came over and he was even surprised, like, are, really, are you sure? Well, yeah, you're, by you're bingo, done? you mean... You this have, is you someone a, we know we can help we and we can help fast. We yes. have a condition that's well-funded. Yes, yes, well-funded and underutilized. Yeah. And, and it seems like some of the splinters on there, the ones that really are the... Was that individual living problem. alone? Was he living alone? He was by himself in there. Okay. Um, so you just you kind of assume. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where anybody else would have been. Uh, and he had one that you know you could tell it had been there a while. Wow. Every once in a while you come up on one of those tents and you're like, this is permanent. Yeah. Uh, you know they've got walk it's paths. The tree. They almost have yeah. landscaping. You've yeah. got a project he's working on out in the front. There, there are there are different levels of living in yeah. the homeless, which we can touch on that later. But, but, they're, they're, but just they're getting through those questions and what you're out there they're, for. They're to, essentially, that's what we're out there trying to do. We're trying to go wake them up at five in the morning, get them to answer questions, so we can compartmentalize them into a a help box. Yeah. And you hope you don't get in the box; it's already too full. Yeah. And that's what I mean. This guy who had HIV, well, he he had he had a box that was not full of participants, but full of money. And the manager, you know, they were excited to be able to help in that fashion. It just doesn't yeah. come up enough. I the uh, the ways you can live um, outdoors, man, there's a lot of variance in that. Mm-hmm. Some people are living in blue tarps. Some people are living in tents. Uh, one of the tents I visited was half tent, half cardboard. There was a guy that was living uh, in, uh, man, it, I couldn't understand how he laid down in it. It, it was about a three by three by three cube of old siding material. And I couldn't figure out how he laid down in it. And, well, the homeless workers just up, said, man. like, yeah, the homeless worker said, you just don't know. From, from what you can see, standing 10 feet, feet away in the dark, you don't know how many layers there are. You don't know if he's dug himself down in the trench. So there's just so many ways to exist out there. Um, you're kind of seeing 
the human enterprise, even in a state that we're saying is undesirable, you still see the incredible ingenuity that goes on within these little encampments. Yeah. And I I wouldn't be surprised if we found some. I'd heard a story about a guy who had had shimmied up a power line and drug a power line (laughs) down and it powered an entire homeless camp. Uh, You hear all kinds of stories about how they get creative with bringing heat inside their tents. And, and, you know, it reminded me a bit of uh, some of my interaction with with the prison system and that there's always incredible – inspiration and innovation in situations that are lacking in out like you you put a human the great adapters that we are you can put us in almost any circumstance and we'll grind out a solution that will feed feed our comfort uh in ways that you and i may not even understand well no we understand lived at that in that level well here's the term i heard and i was like well i completely understand this one (laughs) even though the two seem like an oxymoron the term homeless hoa (laughs) and and that was used by one of the managers one of the guys who visits these camps on a daily figuratively right that's not a literal term okay so here was where he was referencing with um it was a little funny because they were sheepishly mentioning that in any sort of attempt to help that they do hand out tents to the homeless which again i said that's a little bit of a (laughs) we'll get to that later on but and they asked him why do you need why do you need this tent which i mean for obvious but their answer was we have this encampment we'd really like to live in but they won't let us in unless we have our own tent they were trying to upgrade yeah they were trying to upgrade into like a better neighborhood which is a little bit indicative too of of the way we were talking about in the pre-video about how we got split up into two different teams and you had a police officer with yours you were in what was known as a hot area you were in a, a get a a ghetto of the ghettos? I, don't know, I mean, not to just throw out terms yeah, like that, we but were you, were, that were, known to be you were in an unsafe area that people deem unsafe. Which, another thing I want to touch on, really at no point did I feel that there was a threat of yeah. attack or they were coming to get me. Yeah. Honestly, for uh, I think that there's this hobophobia. I don't even know if that's a term, but the fear of homeless people. I don't know if it's called hobophobia. But no, you think they're going to be violent? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That they're or, that they're, they're all drug crazed. They're going to come out the tent screaming, axe wielding, yes. and come and getting you right. And and there's and uh, I didn't feel any of that. No, and and again, to my amazement, like you said, very few said no. So. And then once they started participating, it was just a normal conversation. You know, when you could get them into the normalcy of the fact I'm asking you all these personal yep. questions right now, yep. you know, you felt like you were at, you know, in a doctor's office just, you know, kind of doing a little check. They, they could slide into the human normalcy in a social situation if given the opportunity. Yep. If you would treat them with some decency, they were... They, they could reciprocate. <laughs> They're not completely incapable. What I saw was... Um, a lot of people that in some ways just can't get out of their own head. They can't get past themselves. You know, I don't yeah, want to blame everything on an individual in this and not to even try to touch too hard. Do we even have the time? We didn't have the time. Uh, to I don't know, but with them. I, I, I just can't help it. I see it from both ends. You know, you, you don't want individuals to even have to worry about making some of the choices that they do. Yeah. You know, what, what scenarios are available to humans in this place. You don't even want them to have to make that choice. Yeah. But you have to also understand, too, that at some point there is the human that is there making the choice, and they've got to make a different one. Yeah. Like, I wish there wasn't such this hard slide that you could go all the way down. I wish the net <laughs> that caught the bottom of society was higher than it is. Yeah. You know, if, if, if everything was running a little bit better, you would never see a human being living in these conditions. And, and that's, that's some of my motivation, you know, with, with what we're doing here. Nobody likes this. Uh, in whatever way, shape, or form, there's, a, there's an aversion 
to seeing people live on that low of a level of society. Well, we don't know what to do with it. I, I think we don't know whether or not to be scared of it. We don't know whether or not to blame it on the individual. Uh, some of us, like you and I, that did have done a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, now we're kind of. It's such a big that, problem. That there's that, blame to go around. Yeah, there's not like there's. But one I passed facet. a lot of judgment, and so have you, at the people that are living outside. And we've come, we, we've had these little conclusions about why we think they do what they do, but we haven't done that from an arm's length. We we've we haven't been close and felt the human, which is what, a big part of my motivation to 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 actually go on on this journey is to figure out, you know, what what is going on with the human in here in this circumstance. Uh, that he or she can't work himself or herself out of the circumstance. And I had one guy who, who it, it was a little eerie to me, he grew up not too far from where I grew up, which was also, you know, a big misnomer of mine. I thought a lot of the homeless population was transient. They were coming mm-hmm. in from other states, and every person I interviewed was from Oklahoma. They were local in some way, shape, or form. And this guy had lived a couple miles away from where I grew up. He was a little older than me, but he went to a high school I knew. We were talking about places where we both had played baseball, and it, it really ran through me. That was a that was a real eye-opener. Like, man, it's a real human here. How close are you to falling down that? a real guy that has walked a path that deviated really hard from mine, but he did it in a very similar footstep. That really rung my bell. That, that made me think, wow, these are these – are, these are humans that never intended to end up where they were, and they've walked a life at some point in time that was very similar to yours. Um, this individual himself said he was injured on the job, uh, and that kind of led to his downfall. Um, and he's now trying to to reach out and get into a HUD program so he can get a house housing. Uh, he had uh, a female living with him, and one one other observation that I had, I, I think you're a big fan of monogamy. We, we've heard you go on and on about a monogamy. The monogamous individuals or the couples that were out uh, that we interviewed were much more stable. Like I felt that thread. Well, crisis can pull you all the way through. Well, they were just they were more. Their interaction was more stable with us. Their disposition was better. Um, it seems like if you're not out there alone, you're gonna do a little better. Which is not really a big surprise. We know that's how it works in life, but. You know, to a T, the ones that were a little bit more erratic, the ones that were a little more difficult to, to to have that conversation with, they were alone. And I just saw that consistency with if there was a male-female pairing there, they seemed to fare a little better with just their disposition. Well, now, it speaks exactly. That, that's a real small sample. Like, maybe I, I'm immature for that, but I saw that. I, I saw I'll take that I'll take it and I will run with my monogamy <laughs> statement that we just do better whenever with, you're with taking compare. care of someone else, whenever you have an interest in a partner, really if you have an the more people you have interest in outside of you, yeah. the more you're giving, the better your life gets. Yeah. It's but it's hard to get these people who are battling their own demons to understand that. Um it, it takes love. Love for one other person is the easiest way to break through that me, 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 self, self identity. But what I see, you know, you mentioned the word, you know, kind of fighting their own demons. I, I went into this thinking that um, I was projecting my own demons, what I feel like might have led to any sort of cause that would have put me here. And that's what I was assuming what had happened to all of them. I really thought pretty much everybody was just mental or a substance abuse. And then, therefore, I I consider that mental health Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And I really expected to see 
uh, evidence uh, of that. And, and that, again, is just me projecting what I feel like would have led me there and assuming that's what got everybody else there. Yeah. But uh, different scenarios came up way more than that. Like you just mentioned, the, I didn't hear any of this, but that's a very interesting one, on-the-job injury. The, the, the ones that kept getting me the, were incarceration. Yeah, no, I had a guy that, that had bounced out of prison. And, I had, and he said he didn't have a family member to live with. And that was years ago, mm-hmm. and he just it kind of he just kind of ended up in a tent. And then I was a you know now I've also I've caught a case. The guy one of the ones of the of the, the, the that gave me that answer. That, you know now I've got a felony, and and you just start looking at that hole that through available societal choices and them making a little bit of the wrong choice. You know working two shovels in the same place got them so far down, uh, but our we're seeing right now is that our society is better at getting people to that point than we are at getting them out or more importantly, keeping them from getting to that point. Yeah. I think that's, that's a big part of it, right? If you, if you, if you just like being in prison for an extended stay, that becomes your default. And so once that's normalized, that's what you know. Mm -hmm. My guess is once you get to a certain level, when you've been outside for so long, that just becomes your normal, and I, I think, like you said, one of the gr- one of the greater ways to maybe stop this problem, slow the expansion of this problem, or just just enhance our ability to help the problem, is to stop it before they become homeless. Mm-hmm. The ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It seems that way, but what we were predominantly seeing was outreach directed to people that are already homeless. But we heard that from some of the the outreach workers that sometimes it's just not a program to help somebody. Or they don't know about the program, or, the program or they come so to you after they've already been outdoors for a number of years, and now we're kind of talking about, all right, we need to reinstitute you back into society. You, know, you have to figure out how to live under a roof, figure out how to live uh, a nine-to-five life, figure out how to turn the lights on, turn the lights off, bathe every day. I mean, if you've been outdoors for years on end, catching a shower once every couple of weeks, that, again, that becomes your default. And so I, I, I don't have any hint of a clue of how to solve this problem as a whole. But that did echo throughout a lot of the conversations I was having with the outreach workers. We try to stop it if we can before it becomes a case of homelessness. Yes. And it, but it doesn't sound like there's an abundance of resource at that space uh, between the lack of resource and maybe the individual knowing it's time to reach for help. Those are two areas where it seemed like, if, we, like you said, if we could move the help up the line mm-hmm. and help them keep a roof over their head, instead of we're down, we're down now where they've lived outside for three or four years, and now we're, you know, we're giving them socks and gift it's cards. It's a lot harder to pull them out of it's that hole. Very, it's very. I gotta believe it's harder to get them out of a default the way it would anybody else. Any default's gonna grip you to a certain extent. And then you're going to have to find a new default, and you're going to have to find the energy to transition from the old to the new. And how do I do that without a massive support system? How do I do that if I've lived on the side of train tracks for 10, 15 years? It's going to be challenging. Right? Something that came up in ours that I thought was a, like a beautiful mixover of, the, of two different problems. And uh, they said that they had had a question when they were out one time asking one of them, what could you think you could do to contribute to your, your homeland, you know, to – to, to help to fix your situation. Fix yeah. And he said, build more shelters. And 
and we're like, well, that's it's kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> like we're trying, we're not trying to get more people sheltered. We're trying to get more people housed. Yeah. So that's a bizarre thing to think. Like, how do we help? The, and, and one of the things they think is shelters. And the correlation I thought that overlapped with that a little bit is that's like trying to fix crime by building more prisons. prisons yeah. So the at some point, yes, you've 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 failed. Whenever you're a society sitting here trying to decide, can I build more shelters and more prisons? There is the indicator that there's something that needs to go down before that. There's something in the legal process. There's something in the available help to people. There's something in the systemic choices that are available that's wrong. Whenever you're when you're seeing that upside, that lopsidedness. Yeah. So the other one that that my I think you know just off the top of my head, my number two uh, reason that they were on the streets was uh, loss of family. Okay, and and I, I put that to mean most of these were like uh, a death of their mother was mm. what what they had said. Um, the shelter provider, yes, yes, where where their home was at one point, and you have to think that that through death or whatever reason it might be that that would be a reason a lot of people are on the streets is they've lost touch with their family. Yeah, and I can't imagine what anybody's situation has been through i have had family members that i i don't go seek out uh, interaction with um so I, I i'm probably just as guilty of this as perhaps anybody else yeah but you know if if we really stuck together with our family maybe if they wouldn't die whenever we're counting on them for a place to live that that's something else connection if they can maintain a family connection in some way, shape, or form, yeah. that will enhance life. That's that's what I've learned through every bit of this. So you can put all sorts of facets and reasons, blaming the individual, the you know the society, all the choices they have. But in the end, I, I believe it comes down to just a disconnection is what has you ending up in those sorts of uh, scenarios that fall all the way through to the bottom of that net. To counter that point, though, it, just for the individual's accountability, you you want to position yourself where you're not reliant on somebody else. Right. I'm not talking any sort of a dependent. Like, you know, it's not like we all need to have dependents underneath this, and if you're not having someone depend on you, no. But it's just someone that you share life and experience with. Yeah. And once you do that, I believe that the weight of life doesn't get so heavy yeah. that you start feeling this despair that puts you into a mental state that I need to live on the streets. Yeah. That, that connection with people is what keeps people from getting into despair. Yeah. It's amazing how, oh, there's a Grateful Dead lyric that uh, I'll butcher, but you know, the answer to your solutions are through the eyes of the person right next to you. Yeah, uh, and that, again, that's butchering it, but it's the person that that's, sees you. That shows connection, yeah. and that's how we we can all avoid sitting in any sort of a scenario like this at the bottom of society. Another thing that I've I found interesting: the conditions in the camps were all fairly similar. Um, I, I guess they have a problem with trash removal. I heard that one of, one of the uh, individuals I spoke to, she was asking for a fifty-five gallon drum so she could burn her trash, mm-hmm. and the trash litters everything. Um, there's a smell there that is intense. Uh, one of the camps that we went to, to stay warm, they were burning shopping carts. And so what they would do well, is- It was more that they'd load up a shopping cart. And burn well, the, the shopping cart would burn as well. And so, Just yeah, melt down? It would all melt down. So they would take a, like the ones I was, was seeing, and I, I don't know if Target is the, the shopping cart of choice, but it's plastic. So I'm guessing 
that Target shopping cart most likely burned a little hotter. Mm. Now, if you're burning a metal shopping cart, those just seem to get charred out, and I think you you just burn whatever's in the shopping cart. But you get a Target cart, you get a plastic cart, I think you get an extra burn. (laughs) So we've just come through an incredibly cold streak. we got to remember that on our Target. With single-degree temperatures. And this camp had probably no less than 10, 10 or 12 of these shopping carts that they burn them and then they just kind of push the remnants off to the side. And so when you walk in, the smell I, I first came across smelled like uh, somebody was welding, it smelled like a fab shop, mm-hmm. just a heavy burning metal scent. And you're puzzled by it. You don't know what, what am I smelling? It's an industrial smell. And then you connect it to... They're not using 55-gallon drums, and I don't know if those are just hard to come by. Shopping carts are available at every store, but the shopping cart has become the 55-gallon drum, and that's they're lighting those on fire to keep themselves warm, and that smell combined with the burning kind of remnants of the rubble really had, it gripped me fairly hard. Like, you, you understand at this time, you coming from your nice life in the burbs, have, have now stepped into another existence. And it's an existence that you don't really comprehend. You're curious about it. I took some pictures, but I noticed that, like, internally, as I'm taking pictures, I feel this sense of guilt that I'm now trying to capture their misery so I can show it to the rest of the world. Uh, the outreach workers told me that's okay. You're, you kind of bring light You're to showing the that you're participating, right? Yes. And, you're, and you're showing the light. But at the same time, to have somebody stand in what we would consider just rubble conditions and ask them to pose for a photo didn't feel correct either. Uh, but I took photos because I think it is important that people see what these camps are like on the inside. Mm-hmm. And what America's become. A picture this is essentially American now. And this is, yeah, well, it's a sensory it's experience. Mm-hmm. And so when I show you a picture that's inside of a camp, you get a feel. But you also can't smell it. Mm-hmm. You can't hear it, and it's a sensory. And there's experience. energy around it. The despair. The you, you had the first couple of camps that we went into. I had my head on a swivel. You don't know where the people are. You're walking through trails of debris. It reminded me a bit of a hoarder house, like like this the debris that I saw and the way it was strewn about. I've seen this in houses that I've gone into, and I usually think it's it's a it's a stripping process. So what you're seeing on the ground. You see a lot of bicycle parts. You'll see a mm-hmm. lot of electronic parts. I saw the and so they're, how they come across the parts or the items, I don't know. But they're stripping them apart for some type of value, and the remnants of the strip just hits the floor. And so you're walking through a disassembled kind of existence where they're grabbing anything they can from a, a trash can. or I, I noticed there was a lot of bartering going on. I heard that back and forth. Yeah, um, I had none of that. I had one conversation with the lady who told me that we, when we pull our money to get food, uh, we try to do that and then cook together uh, when we can. Now, I, I didn't see any central kitchen in here. I'm just I'm taking the lady's word for it. But um, that one did have a sense of community. She told me there were there were 15 people living in in that camp. And I asked, like, are more allowed to come? Do you ever need to remove what are your somebody? HOA homeless yeah. rules? <laughs> and so, so there, there. She she gave me a little bit of dialogue about disrupted dogs. I, I think dogs are a real X factor in the community because they bring chaos, they bring instability, but they also act as one a companion to a guardian. 
Mm-hmm. And so if I was going to find, if I found myself in a homeless state, getting a dog would be almost one of my first reaches because now I have protection. Now I technically I can create a monogamous scenario between me and the dog. The dog's going to be there also to keep me warm. I mean, dog, you lay next to a dog in a, a cold night, you're going to get some warmth off the dog. Oh, I've had a dog give me hope yeah, <laughs> in yeah, many different ways. Are. Not necessarily warmth, but just that loving face. It yeah. touches on what I was saying. Keep connection, even if it starts with a pet. And, and, <laughs> and that dog is not, even in that state, the dog's not depressed. The dog's still wagging his tail. The dog's still happy. And um, so I, I there, there were so many different layers of existence. Um I wondered, like, why don't why don't you tidy the place up a bit? Mm-hmm. I've right? wondered that too. Why do we have to live in this rubble circumstance here? This cannot help our mental health condition. But then I, I also remember, go back to my hoarder example the other day. Sometimes what you see externally is just the mental health aspect played out in the physical form, and so. As we're asking, you know, going through the census and asking about mental health questions, they all said yes. Uh, I only have one guy. Really? I only have one guy out of ten surveys that said no. I deal with depression, and I was like, okay, we'll 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 check that. And he's I was like, surprised he was like, how many of them were very aware it. on it. Yeah. He refused it. He hmm. was like, no, I'm not. He goes, he's, he's, I'm, I don't have mental health issues. Um, a lot of learning disabilities. That was also a I question we had. Yeah, I had probably at least half. Of the people that I surveyed, I was getting right said they, had, learning, had, said they had a learning disability. Now I didn't delve into it, and there wasn't a box to delve into it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But nothing it, you could delve it into. It really made me curious about: is this is there literacy issues here? What is the disability? And that would be one that you'd want a little more time with. Again, we're not the people to do this. We're not social workers. We're not. We're, that that psychologists a, are the ones that need to be out there. Yeah, that's what, I, and, and I went into I the trash. Know, thing. I don't know who exactly needs to be there. Oh yeah, no, I, I don't know. It, well, it's multifaceted. But I, I was like you. I went into the trash thing and wondering, like, no matter whatever happened to me home, I'm going to pick this up. Yeah. But I did go into one camp that kind of made me rethink that. I was looking around, you know, your typical deal. I hope I got a picture of. It. If we do, we'll put it up. But then I look over and they have a, a city trash can there, and this city trash can is full, completely up to the brim. And so I kind of joked. I was like, oh, well, that's why it's on the ground. The trash can's full. They mm. just need to take it out to the curb, Yeah. which I get, you know, kind of making light of it. But they can't. No one's going to come pick that trash up. These people are living in a different country right Within inside of our country. country. Yeah, There's no other way to put it's it. It's a different we, life. Yes. It's, right in front of us. It's not. I, I, right here in America, <laughs> there is a very un-American way of living, and a lot of people are doing it. And... uh I don't know what I, it's. It's weird when you think about how close you are in a comfortable life mm-hmm. to how close somebody else can be in an uncomfortable life. Well, like I've said, projecting what you know, my demons. I guarantee you, I'm I'm one divorce away from. And I guarantee, but there's a good chance. Looking at my trajectory, I stick with the alcohol and abuse and the experimental living that I was yeah. doing. If I don't ever learn from all that yeah. and break out of it, you know, this that's exactly. You know, I, I was real close to that path. I also think about, like, we go back to that camp um, where they, they had litter and debris, and they were asking for help with the trash. They asked for a 55-gallon drum. And it made me wonder, right, is it, are we just, do, do they want to clean this up? Would that solve the problem? Or, I don't think they want to. Or is you've that an excuse? you got to think some of the trash, the, some of the completely not caring about your surroundings, has to come from this mentality that you don't want to stay there. 
Like, they, hopefully they thinking they got a foot out the door. I don't know, oh, man. At home is home. Is that right? just me throwing too much home. optimism onto well, a despair? I think, I think, you know, you walk into an environment and whatever culture is, you're, you're probably going to adapt to that culture. And so if I'm walking in and I'm a new person at a camp, I'm just going to do what the camp's doing. I'm going to fall into the cultural norms. And if the norm is to throw your trash on the ground and blame the city for it, well, I'm going to do that, right? Um, I definitely give them more license than I do those homeowners that you go through in those areas, and they got beer cans littering their whole. But it yard. doesn't. It You've doesn't, got an address. Okay, there's yeah, no reason. Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. But <laughs> they get what, a little more license because nobody's coming to pick. You don't feel you, good. Like going. Let's go back to being a teenager. You get your room too dirty. You don't feel good. Mm-mm. Why don't you feel good? Because you're living in what is a physical display of a disrupted mental state. And so you always feel better in a clean environment. And so to think about people that were trying to get you know, back into some normalization of society, and they're living in you know, basically dump-style conditions. Right? There's trash everywhere. Uh, there's a smell that even as we got into my car, I'm having a hard time getting the smell off of me. Yes. And it's a, it's some of that is that burned metal smell. Uh, it's also like a burned metal meets kind of a burned plastic. It's a real unique smell. Uh, I'm having a hard time getting that off my, getting out of my nose, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. And I don't remember being in it. You know, there, there was a lot of, hey, watch your stuff. You know, there is no latrine. Mm-hmm. Right, you, you could, could see a, a couple I went to. You could see a sheet that would just be off in the middle of the side. And oh, that I, was like, a spot. Yeah, I had two of them. I, I spotted. I was okay. like, that has to. be I was bad. looking around. That's I couldn't be. figure out. I had no idea where people were going to bathroom in the setup. I and found it, a couple. So I'm assuming off it's side. it's off down in the trees. No, it's not far that far away from you. No, no, no. It's like four feet from three tents. Wow. So I, again, I still could be wrong on what it was, but that was my thought. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't catch but much still pretty close. smell in terms of feces or urine. I didn't catch a lot of that. I didn't either. Um, but there was no wind. It was yeah. a foggy day. That keeps scent. Yeah. Down. Now there's blood. plenty of human smell. I mean, man, you, there there was a couple that I interviewed from the tent, and so they didn't want to come out of their tent. And you know, we're trying to accommodate. And they were nice people, and I crouched down to the tent, and the smell of two humans coming mm. out, basically a, a ten inch hole. As I as I took the survey, it was very intense, right? And you, you just realize like that's that's human smell there. That's mm-hmm. real. And uh, if you and I, we, if we got out of the right guard and we got out of the showers, eventually we would revert back to that smell. Um, I, I don't know, man. How, how do we fix this? How do we we don't. You and I don't. We don't have a solution here. I think there's all what, kinds what, of solutions. They really are because there's so many of. Uh, contributing problems I, I think i think more people need to be one engaged in an activity like this it, when, when you go out on an outreach mission one there is no i, I didn't feel any threat at all no I know. and and uh i originally thought there was going to be threat and again it's the boogeyman i don't know on the side of the road living in a way i don't understand therefore he's a danger to me i didn't feel that at all uh, it was four hours of my life yeah i had to wake up uh yesterday in order to get this done today, but it, it was well worth it. It was well worth it for me to actually put name, face, dialogue to this condition that I've stared out through the side of my car window and held judgment on for you know the majority of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also I found it I found it really enjoyable to be around the outreach workers. Uh, they all had 
a great attitude about this. They well, I said going in, these are going to be people who found a way to fulfill purpose in life. You were as in their passion. Just chasing money. Yeah, yeah, this is what, what you felt. Yeah, yeah. They're not, you can't wash that off. You're engaged <laughs> in an activity. You're engaged in an activity that is their passion. Mm-hmm. And that is always enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's available to, to people in any city. That, you know, we were working with the Homeless Alliance. Cities are going to have something equivalent all across the U.S. You can go out and experience this in a relatively safe manner, um, four hours of your life. I highly recommend, especially if it's something that's concerning you. You know, right now, if you're one of the people who has some sort of animosity towards it, a sadness, you know, if you feel like you just can't help but give them a little change when they're asking at the light, that that's a calling to go investigate. See for yourself, experience it, and once we all kind of see and experience with it and find a connection there, mm-hmm. I think you'll find solutions coming up out of it. All everybody in those camps, they're alive, they're living. Yes, they're not killing each other. Like and it's all, not that much of a different it's life. It's not going to hurt do. you to walk through it. They still have HOA rules to deal with. Definitely, yeah. You got to upgrade your. <laughs> they're just to get people to like spots. you and I. They just have hit some hard times and didn't have some of the same safety nets that the rest of us do. We need to go buy that lady a tent. We should. Yeah, we should absolutely do that. So. I just anyway. disagree with it because it goes against the – they need a home, not a tent. Yeah, but They need a again, home, not a shelter. Again. They need a home, not a prison. What, what, can you, what can you and I do? We can't give them a home. We can give them a tent. No, though, right? I still don't really have much of a better answer for what we can do to stop. But I do we have need more people a better compassion it. and a better understanding for the situation. And it gives me more hope. I feel yeah. better about it. Yeah, I, th- I think if, if uh, again, do I hand them the $5 bill out the window? Do I buy him a burger? What 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 would you? So let's just we'll, we'll wrap this up with you and I have now been fairly intimate. Yeah. With people that are in challenging situations. And as you're asking right now, I feel the question you got coming up, and I, I got the answer boiling. Well, Go let's ahead. see if we can we can tag team this. So what I don't know, and, and, and is what exactly if you want to help, what do you do? How do you help? Okay. What I feel like is you can only help what's right in front of you. So start with your immediate surrounding, whatever yeah. is already in your field of view. I like that, yeah. And what I felt myself doing today and what I just couldn't stop doing for these people when I was in front of them was handing them positivity. Hey, that's all right, man. You learn from that lesson. Keep taking steps forward towards a goal yeah. of a home, and it will happen. Yeah. I, I just wanted to instill in them <laughs> their own belief in themselves and a possibility of hope. You know how and hard. If you can't hand out too much hope. So however you figure that you can give that to someone, yeah. for me, like I said, I got I got a pocket full of optimism and that was my favorite thing to hand out. Yeah, it's free too. Yeah. It's free. You just gotta stand and show your awareness and your presence. Um I, I think that there's probably somebody around you that needs help. Uh, that you may be aware of, you may not be aware of, your senses are telling you you need to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to the connections that we have around us that maybe don't have the family to support them, mm-hmm. that, that may, may be looking for agencies and governments to stop somebody's downhill trajectory. Maybe that's not the answer. Maybe it's the humans around them yes. that need to collectively support them and not just wait for the agency, right? Yeah, I got in trouble one time for feeding a homeless person is how it was labeled. Yes. And so around our building, we'll occasionally have a homeless population. And uh, we had an event here one night, and we had some food left over, and I saw there was a homeless person. Not a big effort on my part. I walked out there and, and gave them some cookies and some water, and they left some of it. And 
I later kind of got scolded for feeding the homeless. Yeah, it's like you had fed the animals. They were very objectifying yes. towards these. And, like, these are human beings. And the answer to, and the, and the feedback or the, or, or the disposition of the statement was, we have agencies that, that handle or deal with the homeless. And I think that prescription, when we're going to allow agencies that we don't know or that we assume to be there. If every human believes that there's somebody else that's going to take care of it, Nobody leave it alone, it. to me that's the wrong position. The question I should be asking myself is what can I do in this moment to help this person? And it may not be a lot, like you said. It might be a smile, it might be a glass of water, but that's what I have available to me. And I don't believe that ignoring it and allowing somebody else that you believe is going to help it to help the situation when you have your own personal authority, your own personal domain, to try to impact this person in some way, shape, or form, maybe at the very least, showing that you see them, mm-hmm. recognizing their existence. A little decency. Yeah, and saying, listen, I, I see you there. How can, how can I help you? Or maybe if I don't even ask that question, giving somebody some food never hurt them. Mm-hmm. And it also shows that you see them, and it also shows that you're aware of them and that they, they need some help and that you recognize them as a human. We can all do that. Yes. We can do that. Instead of taking our gaze away from them, recognizing their existence, I think is a very powerful thing that everybody's capable of doing that doesn't require government funding Mm -hmm. that an individual can do on their own. Just to make the world a better place. Almost just look at them and smile. Don't wait on somebody (laughs) else Any single person, nobody is below the need for kindness. Absolutely. Sometimes they're even right where they need to be. Yeah. So great, great experience. I, I would encourage everybody out there, if you have an opportunity to, to work with a homeless outreach, go feel the experience yourself. Get connected feel with your experience. community. Yeah, and then drag your experience through it and, and look at how your life might be able to help some of the people that are, that are in need of help now. How, how are my experiences or maybe my expertise and what I do for a living, how can that help an individual that is in need of help? We should all be asking ourselves questions along those lines. If hurt people hurt people, well, what do healthy people do? And if you're a healthy person not helping, then it's just a world of hurt people hurting each other. It's an obligation. Somebody's got to be the healthy one yeah. who's here to help. Yeah. I'm not not afraid to help and step in that role. Yeah, thankfully. All right, all right. All right, all right. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.